first glance, ADHD is just a big bundle of suck. You can't remember important dates. Focusing on school and work is very difficult. Impulsive urges can cause financial strains and so on. What makes having ADHD much less appealing is that these problems appear insignificant to the outside world, thus causing frustration, feelings of isolation. We neurodivergents succumb to this societal pressure and begin to disregard and belittle our conditions. We are angry and ashamed of ourselves for making what everyone has led us to believe are easily avoidable mistakes and having immature behaviors. Part of being human, especially if you have ADHD, is constantly seeking validation from your tribe members to maintain a positive self-image. We're social creatures, and it's natural to care what other people think. Being a valedictorian, an exemplary employee, or all things I've longed to experience. It hurt me to initially think that I couldn't accomplish something like that even though I wanted to. I've always been great at writing stories, drawing, public speaking, and my family knows me to be relentless at pursuing things if I'm genuinely trying to go after them. My teachers didn't grade me on the things that I wanted to do though. They didn't even really acknowledge them at all. That's because, unfortunately, we live in a neurotypical obsessed world, so we value and reward those behaviors. It's not really a conspiracy, it's just how the world runs. Businesses and corporations can only make money because some person is okay with standing on an assembly line and screwing on lids onto Snapple bottles for eight hours a day or sitting in a cubicle. Even when I felt my worst about not being able to conform to the neurotypical standards enforced by the American public school system and then by my bosses later in life, deep down, I was always kind of glad that I couldn't be content with doing boring things that I wasn't interested in. Somehow, I kind of held on to that instinct. Now I'm thankful for my ADHD, even blessed by it. I believe in nature and evolution as well as spirituality, so however you define it, whatever it is, it doesn't make mistakes, in my opinion. The more I learned about my inability to focus, I began to see it as less of a sickness and more of an intellectual immune response. It was like a protection shielding me from something very unnatural. I feel like I talk about this all the time and that's how to manage ADHD, but I don't feel like I talk enough about how to harness its benefits. Some neurodivergent symptoms may be your secret weapon for success. I've learned so much from all of this ADHD content out there floating on the web but I've also noticed a trend. Though it's essential to learn a bit of self-regulation and things that you can do to improve yourself, these articles come from a place of lack or, if you think about it, people with inattention usually can concentrate very easily. We just don't focus well on things that we don't wanna do. With titles like, things people with ADHD do better than anybody else, or can ADHD be a superpower? It's not fantasy or just saying things to gas you up, the listeners. There's several things that neurodivergents are actually better at than most people. That's why I'm doing this episode today. I wanna to do more shows like this moving forward as well. I don't like empty validation. There's plenty of true things that we can be happy about. Today, I'm gonna to talk about one of the special powers scientists concluded are uniquely abundant among people with neurodivergence. This episode might be my favorite so far. So are you ready to feel empowered by your ADHD for a change? I promise you, you're gonna love this episode. Stay tuned. Seeing in a new kind of way, the type of day I mean it, I could do anything. I 
From a pier toward the ceiling was spacious Got me daydreaming of a way I could stay here Hello, fellow Divergents. Welcome to another episode of Attention Please, the only podcast you should be concerned about when you want to learn about adult ADHD. I am still your host, DC. Thank you so much for tuning in. I have probably never been more excited to get into a topic. I'm so excited I'm doing something that I should not be doing right now, and it is staying up way past my bedtime. It's about 2 a.m. on Tuesday morning, so I didn't drop the episode on Monday like I'd hoped. I'm very busy, but I really wanted to get this one out. So if I sound a little tired or monotone, um, I've worked like crazy hard on this show um, and the Abundant website for over a year, and I wasn't really sure what I was doing at all when I started out, but now I'm I'm really proud of what I've built so far. Um, in the humblest way possible, I say that. Out of all the websites, channels, and pages about ADHD, none of them really provide history, science, investigative studies and inquiries, and entertainment in the way that this show does. Moving forward, I'm going to continue to search for ways to keep the show unique and compelling, not just informative. And that's why it makes me very happy when you remember to like, subscribe, and share the show with the people that you think need to hear it. I don't really ask for money or donations, but you can show support by just clicking a few buttons. All right, that's it for the announcements. I do want to give a shout out to Marlene because you actually helped inspire this topic, even if you didn't mean to. And I want everyone listening to know that you're not so far away from accomplishing the things that can make you feel fulfilled. And this episode will help you see exactly what I mean. All right, let's get started. There's a Joey Badass song that makes me emotional sometimes when I hear it. It goes, I used to feel so devastated. At times I thought we'd never make it, but now we're on our way to greatness and all it ever took was patience. I listened to this when I started to doubt myself. As I mentioned a second ago, today I wanted to talk about one of the potential benefits of ADHD, and that is heightened creative problem solving. A large part of living with neurodivergence is constantly comparing yourself to neurotypical people. For me, that's just an elaborate setup for self-sabotage. Instead, I suggest people focus on what they're capable of and pursue those things. A couple of years ago, I had an awakening of sorts. After years of failing to perform in a normal job, time after time, I accepted something that I had run away from for years. I'm not normal, and I never will be. I used to hate that feeling. And though it still hurts me occasionally, I'm glad that I'm not normal, that is. I don't mean this to sound disparaging or offensive to anybody, but I'm frightened of being okay with regular work life. I'm glad it does make someone happy though. Otherwise, who would run the world? Who would run the BMV, work in HR or accounting? I'm willing to admit that regular jobs do keep the world running, but being a creative problem solver, I think makes it run better. What is creative problem solving? also sometimes referred to as divergent thinking. It's defined as the process of generating innovative and unique ideas to solve problems or overcome challenges. It involves breaking free from conventional thinking patterns and exploring multiple perspectives, possibilities, and solutions. Divergent thinking emphasizes generating a wide range of ideas, often encouraging quantity over quality in the initial stages. 
This approach allows for exploring various alternatives, unconventional methods, and imaginative solutions. Imaginative solutions. Sorry. It involves thinking beyond the prominent and established norms, and often requires thinking outside the box. Amen. I like the sound of all that. Creative problem solving is instrumental for success at school, work, but research has also found that people with ADHD have more creativity and idea generation than people without the disorder. It's not just an anecdotal riff I use to make myself feel better about feeling so out of place in the neurotypical world. It's just a fact, and I always bring my receipts. Check this out. White and Shaw conducted a study in 2006. This study, published in the Journal of Abnormal Psychology, investigated the relationship between ADHD symptoms and divergent thinking, or creative problem solving. They found that individuals with more significant ADHD symptoms generated more ideas in a divergent thinking task, suggesting a positive association between ADHD traits and originality. In the upcoming parts, I'm going to explain how this study, how the data from this study was obtained. You see, can you guys tell I'm tired? I don't make, <laughs> I'm like stumbling all over myself. Researchers, like I said, noticed this relationship between basically having ADHD and having more creative thoughts. Well, the same thing that causes our creative thoughts, researchers also acknowledge is the thing that may make us seem to fall short in academics or in employment. And the thing that causes this is poor inhibitory control. Specifically, individuals with ADHD have deficits in executive inhibition, which is required to inhibit a, like a, basically a go-to response. So from what I'm understanding, what I'm reading there, we struggle with inhibiting automatic or impulsive actions. For example, it might be hard to finish a task that requires sitting down and focusing because the natural urge to get up and do something immediately gratifying, like go get a snack or play Call of Duty, might be abnormally challenging to resist for people with neurodivergence. But maybe having extra creative thoughts and then also being unable to regulate yourself are one side of the same coin. Convergent thinking is a cognitive process associated with problem solving and finding a single correct answer or solution often characterized by a linear or logical approach. This is a very left brain activity. This means doing math and remembering dates and factual things. Very much the antithesis of ADHD brain powers, right? But on the other hand, talked is that thing where you have multiple solutions and possibilities and and um, really great angles multiple ones at attacking a problem it's very flexible and emphasizes creativity and exploring various perspectives very right brain oriented right right up the ADHD alley So the findings of this particular study note that neurodivergent brains are predisposed to have difficulty with convergent thought. We already know this, right? We've said it a million times just in different ways. But here's something I haven't talked about before. A common way to measure convergent thinking in a laboratory is the remote associates test or the rat test. And here's how the rat test works. Participants are asked to find a common element among three seemingly unrelated concepts. For example, you have three words 
mines, lick, sprinkle. And then the test subject is asked to generate a fourth word that is gonna relate to all three of these items and just synchronize with the whole idea. According to the RAT results, executive inhibition may hinder an individual's ability to suppress partial solutions as those consistent with the two of the three items on a given test trial. Well, I know it sounds confusing, but if we go back to the words minds, lick, and sprinkle, someone with the inability to throw away answers with that neurodivergent mind, you're taking all the options into consideration. You're not inhibiting answers that are obviously wrong as easily. So you might say the word for example, like ice cream as a compatible answer to this solution. But in real time, you know, you can't see that the, the ice cream is not going to pair well with those words. Something more like salt, right? Because salt goes with mines, uh, salt mines, salt lick, and you can lick a sprinkle of salt. Ice cream goes well with the words lick and sprinkle, but not mines. There's no ice cream mines, right? So poor inhibition allows intrusions to interfere with identifying the right solutions. Poor inhibition reduces the ability to stay on task in theory. So basically, small details are going to be missed initially. A popular measure of divergent thinking is the unusual uses test, or the UUT, which requires participants to generate as many uses as possible for a common object, such as a brick. For example, People would say things like, well, a brick can build a house, a brick can pave a driveway, a brick can hammer a nail, you know, whatever. The number, originality, and flexibility of responses are taken as indices of divergent thinking. That's because divergent thinking may require the activation of low-frequency concepts or ideas. And this means it's not like, oh, this is stupid stuff. No, it's not. This means is that the ideas that you generate are less inhibited by what's considered rational, typical, or normal. And this facilitates divergent thinking because concepts and ideas are less likely to be steered away from. You're less likely to be like, ah, that's stupid. Everything just rushes in all at once. Am I saying this a million times over and over again in different ways? I hope not. A perfect way to sum up what this is saying is being unable to see the forest for the trees on the logic side, because sometimes logic and rational thought rule out good ideas because they just don't seem relevant. But people who are less, you know, um, restricted and inhibited neurologically tend to be better at seeing these trees. They're looking at every single tree as they pass by. Make sense? So ultimately, when it got down to the results of this test, the study is suggesting in its own words, quote, that ADHD in adults may be associated with better performance on certain types of creativity tasks. I feel like it should say creative, but uh, specifically those that involve divergent thinking, end quote. So what are the implications for creative achievement outside of a laboratory? And if none of that makes you excited, I, I don't know what, what well, you know what? Maybe you just need a real-life example of what this looks like and how important it is to humanity. I know this is a broad stroke, but I think of it like this. The reader is to the neurotypical and the printer is to the neurodivergent. Neither is better than the other. They just play different roles on the same team. Imagine a library filled with books where neurotypical individuals who enjoy reading a lot can appreciate the experience of going to this place and sitting still and just 
turning pages and immersing themselves in the text, just getting lost. They find comfort and enjoyment in reading, admiring themselves, and gaining knowledge from the already printed words. In contrast, neurodivergent individuals are like printers who make books to fill up the library. They may not necessarily always engage in leisurely reading themselves, still the same interest in words and books motivate the printer to develop ways to bring more books to people who actually like to read. So think about it. We know many people enjoy consuming books, but someone had to think about how to write something down and how to preserve it so other people could look at it. The book at one time was a disruptive and diversion away from some form of homogenized and stagnant society. Let's talk about this. This is where we really get into the juicy stuff. I was excited for this part. Before the invention of the printing press, books and manuscripts were painstakingly hand-copied, which made them expensive, time-consuming to produce, and in limited availability, and definitely super expensive. Creating a single book could take months or even years, so making knowledge accessible was only a possibility to very few privileged people. The privileged few were the monarchy and nobility. Most people were illiterate at this time, but even if they could read, they couldn't afford books. And if they could afford books, they still couldn't read them because important documents like the Bible were still written in Latin. And it would need to be in German for people in this story to, in the story I'm about to tell you anyway, to um, understand them. Instead, they relied on the church to interpret the meaning of life. No shade to the church, this is just the story. To make a long story short, though the people desperately needed change, most of them didn't seem to notice that they were being even taken advantage of by the people in charge. Inevitably, a divergent rose up and caused a disruption in the system with the invention of the printing press. In the 15th century, Johannes Gutenberg, a German goldsmith, developed the printing press with movable type, the Gutenberg press. This invention revolutionized the way information and knowledge was disseminated. It allowed for the mass production now of books and other printed materials at significantly faster paces and much lower costs. The printing press emerged from divergent thinking by combining several existing technologies and techniques. Gutenberg drew inspiration from existing screw presses used in winemaking and oil extraction and the practice of carving individual characters in wood or metal for printing purposes. Extremely creative or brilliant people are notoriously odd or eccentric. Unconventional people do unconventional things. When one of these people does something, it usually starts a chain reaction nearby. And that's why when Martin Luther saw the Gutenberg Press about 70 years after its creation, something some might call divine intervention occurred. Before we go any further, I'm not saying that Martin Luther had ADHD or was even a neurodivergent or a god or anything like that. This was the 1500s. Doctors still have trouble diagnosing people for inattention accurately now. So there's no way really to know if that's true. But taken into account, our modern knowledge of ADHD symptoms when compared to some of his colorful personality traits, it really says a lot. So tell me what you think. Here are some facts about Martin Luther and what he did with the printing press. In 1505, on the verge of becoming a lawyer, this is his whole his start story, he was caught outside in a terrible thunderstorm. 
And that's when Martin called out to St. Anne to save him and promised he would become a monk if she did. I'm assuming that this storm is really bad. And um, he survived the storm. And several weeks later, he entered a monastery to become a monk, despite his friend's efforts to convince him not to. So already, we're kind of seeing that this guy, he's a bit strange. And it, and it, gets, it gets more intense. So Luther, he married in 1525. And in the process, scandalized the Catholics because he opened up the possibility for clergymen to be married. And also his wife, uh, Katharina von Barra, she was also a former nun. So both of them together were shaking it up. And they shook it up even more when they had six kids together. And even more odd for the time, his wife managed the household and their finances and participated in scholarly gatherings that Luther held at the home. Something that, again, was super unheard of for a woman to be taking such prominent roles in the household. She even inherited all his like property and, and assets when he passed away. Again, it was so taboo at the time that a woman does this of her husband that um, the judge ruled it illegal after Martin Luther died. He was also a big fan of beer. He's quoted saying, Sometimes we must drink more, sport, recreate ourselves, I like A-Y-E, like oi, <laughs> and even sin a little to spite the devil. Wow, that's crazy. This was in the 1500s. And then Luther also wrote, we are conquered if we try too conscientiously not to sin at all. That's like poetically profound. Luther, he was also an accomplished musician. He played the lute and the flute and used his knowledge of music to translate chants from Latin into German. I don't even know how that's done, but uh, when we start talking about translating things into German, this is kind of partly why he got into trouble. The invention of Gutenberg, Gutenberg's printing press in 1440 set the stage for a series of social changes in Europe. So instead of writing books, Luther introduced pamphlets. And the first decade of the Reformation saw the printing of around 6 million pamphlets, more than a quarter of them were written by Martin Luther. Uh, hyper-focused? What? Since Luther was constantly at an odds with the Catholic Church now, as you might imagine, he found even more creative ways to mock and challenge their authority besides these pamphlets. Which, pamphlets, this might be the only time in history pamphlets were useful at all. Nobody even reads pamphlets. I don't read pamphlets. Somebody hands me a pamphlet and I just stare at it for like... Anyway, uh... <laughs> So one of the ways that he got back at uh, the authority was art. So Luther wasn't, I guess, as much of an artist as he was a visual a visionary. Luther commissioned, Luther commissioned an artist to create a woodcut called The True Depiction of the Papacy in 1534, which included images of the devil defecating monks. That's right. The devil's pooping out monks while the pope is suckling a Medusa-like character. Very vivid imagination and left nothing to the imagination at the same time in uh, how he was uh, depicting the Pope, the papacy in general. Clearly, they're, they're the spawns of evil creatures, apparently, in his mind at the time. That had to be crazy taboo, right? Uh, yeah, it totally was. It's not great for old Martin Luther here. So the Catholic Church declares 
Martin a heretic. Basically, that means like you're an enemy of the state. You're a traitor. It's terrible. All your you you blasphemed blasphemed whatever against God. So in 1521, the Holy Roman Empire or Emperor Charles the Fifth contacted Luther and promised safe passage to attend a council of religious and political leaders and, you know, hey, come on, get a fair trial. It's literally what they were offering him. But once he got there, religious leaders asked if he stood by the opinions that he had previously espoused. Like, hey, you know that drawing you made of all of us coming out of the devil's butt and the Pope sucking on Medusa's, uh, whatever, whatever the case is going on, all this suckling with the Pope and, and, and devil-like characters. Did you mean all that stuff, Luther? And Luther said, uh, yeah, I meant all of it. Even though he knew that he might be tortured and burned at the stake. How's he going to get himself out of this pickle? Surely he got executed, right? I mean, like, you think the Romans have clout today. I mean, well, guess what? Back then they were the government. Surely this is where his story ends. Nope. He makes a daring escape when he disguises himself as a knight to avoid persecution by the Catholic Church. So Frederick III staged his kidnapping for him and placed him in a castle. And that's where he disguised himself as a knight named Junker Jorg. Or Jorg. Jorg. I can't pronounce that. But he spent his time translating the New Testament from Greek or Latin into German. So common people could actually read it, thus triggering outrage at the advantageous interpretations that had been made by the powers that be. And often these interpretations were at the expense of regular, everyday, typical people. What Martin Luther did through all these actions actually helped cause the Protestant Reformation. And it's actually responsible for a religion uh, offshoot of a religion called, I uh, think of Christianity, is it Christianity or Catholicism? Either way, it's Lutheranism. So every time you pa- drive past a Lutheran church, think of Martin Luther. He's the reason why. I don't know if Martin Luther was a neurodivergent or had ADHD, but he, he hit a lot of the marks. He was a contradiction with a lot of his ways on paper. He was quick-tempered, rebellious, faithful, resourceful, and creative. He showed little acknowledgement of danger. Some call... He also liked beer and excitement. He commissioned lewd and blasphemous cartoons about authority figures. I bet he didn't fit in with his peers either. He was unapologetically disrupting the system and surely a sore thumb amongst the other holy men around him. He lived authentically and he changed the world by not trying too hard. But he did a lot of things that were very difficult. I love Martin Luther. He was the most badass monk ever. And Gutenberg. He was... I mean, I'm a, I'm a designer by trade, so I love printers. Two possibly neurodivergent historical figures with undoubtedly divergent solutions to the problems of their time. I, I told the story because I'm hoping that it's relatable. Disruptive and new ideas can create actual change. With knowledge, I was better able to see myself in a positive way. I'm, very, I'm a very multidisciplined person. Now I know I didn't really waste my time skipping from job to job. I was acquiring data. I learned to fix cars. I learned to make signs. I learned to install vinyl and make logos and design websites, learn to code. So many of us are like this. And by us, I mean neurodivergence. Human beings in general, but clearly us. And this is exactly the type of motivation that I think we need to not 
feel invalidated by neurotypical standards and not being able to fit inside of those things. As a matter of fact, it's our job to exist as our best neurodivergent selves at all times. We shouldn't be figuring out how to necessarily manage our symptoms to the point where we're living lives we weren't meant to. Martin Luther's friends even tried to stop him from becoming a monk and to go back to wanting to be a lawyer. But after he prayed to St. Anne that stormy night, he had made up his mind. They probably called him crazy. They probably called him insane. But he helped change the world. He didn't need to listen to them. The Wright brothers, Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, everybody throughout our history who did something that no one could have dreamed of, they were probably ridiculed. And I'd like to ask, how are you different from any of those people? They didn't know who they were going to be, and neither do you. Possibilities. All the information that I presented today is not one size fits all. Everyone with ADHD and neurodivergence isn't necessarily going to have an enhanced creative problem solving muscle. But many of us are much more capable than we're able to see ourselves. If you're wondering the types of things that you'd be best at for a career or a life path with neurodivergence and possibly this divergent thought in creative problem solving abilities, check out some of the fields where those exact things give you the upper hand. Types of jobs that are great for creative problem solvers. Creative fields, obviously. Careers in art, design, writing, music, and other creative disciplines often provide an outlet for divergent minds. These fields encourage thinking outside the box, embracing unconventional ideas, and pushing the boundaries of traditional norms, just like Martin Luther. Research and development. Jobs in research and development, particularly, particularly in scientific and technological fields, can be excellent for divergent thinkers. These roles involve exploring new possibilities, solving complex problems, and developing innovative solutions. Entrepreneurship. Starting one's own business allows divergent thinkers to shape their own path, develop unique ideas, and challenge existing industry norms. The entrepreneurial journey often requires creativity, adaptability, and the ability to see opportunities where others might not. Fun fact, if you have ADHD, you are actually statistically three times more likely to start a business. Facts. Consulting and problem-solving roles. Divergent thinkers can excel in consulting positions, providing fresh perspectives and creative problem-solving approaches to help clients tackle challenges and find innovative solutions. Innovative product development. It's more of the same thing, but I'm going to go through it anyway. Roles in innovation um, and product development involve identifying market gaps, whatever that is, conceptualizing new products or features, ooh, and bringing them to fruition. Divergent thinkers excel at generating new ideas, as we've already, already talked, envisioning possibilities and iterating on concepts. Teaching and education. Um, we can make excellent educators. We can teach from an approach that has alternative angles and adapt those methods to meet diverse learning needs. We can also inspire creativity and critical thinking in students, foster a love for exploration and discovery. Um, not sure how fulfilling every teaching environment can be <laughs> before you, you know, jump to the gun or anything. Um, I'm sure it varies, but I get it. Social entrepreneurship and advocacy. Divergent thinkers often have a strong sense of social justice. Shout out to Martin Luther, big dog. All right. Uh, <laughs> um, and these people 
us, we may also be drawn to careers that involve advocating for marginalized groups or driving social change. They can leverage their unique perspectives on challenging societal norms and champion inclusive practices. And I said shout out to Martin Luther in this part because I didn't get into the other part of the story, um, the politics of it. Man, it, I first heard about it several years ago on Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Martin Luther was saving people from some pretty terrible stuff. Being in the dungeon, being tortured, starving to death. People were literally eating like leather shoes and shoelaces to not starve. So, um, or something. They were pulling up definitely grass from the ground and like eating dogs and stuff. It was really bad. I'm not going to get into it, but you should. So when it comes to all these careers and things that are suggested that you try and do, there is one catch. Models of creativity suggest that both the ability to diffuse attention and generate ideas and the ability to focus attention and work with certain constraints may be necessary for actual creative production. This is an excerpt, the final excerpt that I'm going to read from that study from earlier about how the data was discovered that people with ADHD, ADHD tend to have more divergent and creative solving problem solving abilities. My gosh. Almost, it's 2.59, it's almost 3 a.m. right now. It's taken about an hour. Still got to edit. See you guys on Tuesday night. Um, so basically what this thing is saying is that if you do want to succeed and harness these abilities that can get you prepared for a career that you'll better enjoy, there's still going to need to be some work done. Um, so considering certain frameworks and disciplined practices and Generating certain habits are incredibly helpful, and these, these are going to ensure that you succeed. And that's exactly what I had in mind when I created the U Testament. Having ADHD is very frustrating. It's super hard to live with. One of the most frustrating things about it is that it's very hard to finish things. I've started a million different projects in the past that will never see the light of day. I once got all gung-ho about designing and screen printing t-shirts and, and started throwing these gallery shows downtown. I was determined to be a graffiti and hip-hop artist by that time. I got a cheap 3D printer, and for a hot second, I thought I was going to start a business with that. I could write five or six episodes about all the things that I've done in attempts to express myself and find purpose. For me and others with ADHD, I think this happens because when something does manage to jump out out of the mundane drudgery of everyday life and excites us, we tend to hyperfixate on it. I've noticed that that's a trap that I myself am susceptible to. I've learned that just because something is intriguing and exciting to me, it doesn't mean that I need to dedicate the next month or two of my life trying to do that. I have things that I'm inherently good at, which sometimes gets lost because of my love for novelty, new things. People with ADHD want to do things, but we often have difficulty sorting through all our career, lifestyle, or hobby options. If you suddenly knew without a doubt that the thing that you're pursuing right now is the thing that you're supposed to do for sure, it would make the journey a lot less daunting and make it a lot easier to do. To find the appropriate way to use your time or where to focus your efforts is a self-discipline in itself, which also will take lots of your time to decode without guidance. I couldn't make this podcast without supplements to enhance my focus and attention. That's true. But likewise, the U Testament is a journal that I designed for myself, really. It helps me achieve my goals. It's different from any planner that you're ever going to see. 
and it has no complicated grids or calendars. It just contains 21 guided exercises that make identifying your goals and the habits that you need to build in order to accomplish those goals easier than ever to identify. Exercises like the bananas list ask you all the things that you would do if you had all the resources available to you and time wasn't a factor. Listing out your thoughts in real time is an effective strategy for turning your goals into something tangible. I just released this course on Spotify, so go ahead and look for an episode titled You Testament. It'll come with a free digital copy of the workbook. Also, you'll have the audio companion, so you get to hear me talk for a couple hours. For more information, click the link in the description of this episode. Now back to the show. So is divergent thinking, this is going to be the question, by the way, for for the Spotify listeners, is divergent thinking one of your ADHD superpowers? Do you think so? Are you one of those people that seems to be able to put things together um, and come up with creative solutions? Are you an artist? Are you creative? Do you have a special talent? Um, do you think that you have this ADHD superpower? Let me know in the Spotify thread uh, questions and let me know why. Tell me what you're good at. All right, I'm, I'm exhausted. I got to get out of here. Much love. DC out.